This is In the Arena, the Colorado Concern podcast that explores the intersection of business and politics. I'm your host, Mike Kopp. Julie McCluskey is the newly elected Speaker of the House of Representatives in the state of Colorado. She hails from the Western Slope, and in fact, she's the first rural legislator to hold that post in the last 20 years. Speaker McCluskey is now tasked with leading a historic Democratic majority in the House, and she's been invited onto our podcast to discuss her leadership vision. Well, Speaker McCluskey, it's such a delight to have you join us on the podcast today. You're at the end of your second week, basically, <laughs> of leading uh, the House's largest chamber, 65 members. How's it going? Very exciting so far. We've had uh, a great coming together of both Republicans and Democrats to launch our 74th General Assembly. I hear a lot of excitement in the chamber, a lot of enthusiasm for the work ahead, and certainly people very interested in digging into policy and focusing on what Coloradans need in this moment. And I'm excited to support that work and make sure that we are focused on good governance, uh, both this year and next. You're the first rural speaker in a very long time. I was trying to think of really the last rural speaker, but in any event, you're the first rural speaker in a very long time. You probably bring a different outlook, uh, I would imagine. But um, I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about what what's your approach to leadership going to be? Um, I really appreciate that question. And I believe Russ George was the last speaker from the Western Slope and roughly oh, wow. 20, 20 years ago. You know, I've lifted this up in a number of conversations, town halls, The Western Slope legislators, I think, do an admirable job of focusing on problems first and party second. Some of my best work in this chamber and for the state has been in partnership with my Republican colleagues from the Western Slope. And as I spoke about on opening day, I'm committed to making sure that all voices are at the table, that we are you know, not only working in a bipartisan way within the chamber, but that we are listening to our voices back home from all political uh, perspectives. And I think that while most of the legislation uh, in the past few years has had bipartisan support, I think over 90%, we solve problems better when we are listening to one another and incorporating those diverse perspectives. So as a leader for the House, I really um, will work to make sure that our Republican colleagues and those outside of this building are heard, that we engage in authentic stakeholding, uh, and that we spend the time we need to to build um, very thoughtful, credible policy that's going to tackle and address the needs of our state. I think it's a great outlook. Um, I'd love to dive into some of that with you. And I want to come back to the the issue of stakeholding. You you said something that triggered this thought. It would be easy as a Republican to say, well, you know, we're in a very small minority. I'm I'm gonna be very pure. I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on, you know, my own constituents. And I'm just not really going to veer into the Democrats' territory much. I'm not going to help them. And it'd be easy for the Democrats to say, you know, we have a huge majority and the people of the state 
elected us. We have a we have a great big majority, and if the Republicans don't want to sign off on stuff that we want to do in the way we want to do it, then you know, then they can just stay home. And and you may disagree with that. That's that's the dynamic, and and feel free to disagree with that. That's the dynamic I read, and I I just wonder how you react yeah. to that. You know, I think we do see a lot of obstructionism, particularly at the federal level, right? We've seen that play out now for years where there has simply been, um, if you don't, you know, if you aren't going to meet me uh, where I want you to meet me, then I'm not going to engage at all. And I think that type of political um, posturing has been very damaging to, you know, our ideals and our vision of what it means to be a republic, what it means for democracy to thrive. And, you know, certainly I know in my past four years in this building, Colorado, the Colorado legislature doesn't operate the way we see Congress operating. I think we have, again, what I've experienced on the Western Slope has been very collaborative, very respectful. Yes, there have been moments in both chambers where I think uh, both parties have stood their ground and moments where we have had conflict. But I think that uh, that question of responsibility, um, you know, I step up to the expectation that as the leader for the House, I will need to ask my party colleagues to invite those minority voices, whether they be Republican, independent, or or even of their own party, right? When there is dissent, we need to lean in, not back away, or not hide from those really hard conversations. I um, have terrific respect for Minority Leader Lynch, and in our work together so far, I think he and I have strong, open communications We've been able to share with each other when there has been discord or expectations that were not aligned. And I think both of us have an expectation of, of open communication, open dialogue. And I think if we can establish those practices in our interactions now, both as leaders, but also between members in our uh, caucuses, also if we can role model that behavior and really demonstrate respect in the work that we're doing as we get into session, as the building heats up with uh, more complicated uh, and maybe challenging policy, you know, we will have established those working relationships in a way that really demonstrate a level of commitment to listening and working with one another. I want to take you back to a comment you made about the stakeholder process. Could you describe that? And and I have um, in the back of my own mind um, a subtext question, which I should just put up front. There's been concern that sometimes this the stakeholder process is kind of perfunctory, and it isn't. And that's not to say it's always perceived that way, or that it always even works that way, but. You know, it's a. It seems to me just a, a persistent problem when you're, you're trying to produce a lot of work product in the chamber, and you know you have the time you have, and so what winds yeah. up happening is 
things get crunched down, it can be hard for people to, uh, on the outside, to to engage these things. By the time they kind of become aware of it, it's you know probably functionally too late to get involved. I, I would say from the business standpoint, there's a lot of concern that it it goes too fast and too much too much comes out at once. And you know, I, I wonder how you might be able to guide that process and what your view of that process is. Really good question, Mike. And certainly, I think the challenges challenges before us as a state are big ones. And, you know, we have been hired by our constituents to get to work and take on those challenges. As, as much as I would love to have years to work on one piece of legislation or a body of legislation in a particular policy area, um, there is an expectation that in 120 days, we will make progress on the needs and challenges and even hopes and dreams of Coloradans. So you're right. The time frame is maybe by design compressed. I do believe that as you know, election year is even more challenging because you do have new members who are just getting to work at the point they're um, elected in November, and then you know they're hitting the ground running by January 9th. I think, though, the opportunities for engagement are there and present for us. And bringing that level of dedication, I have talked with my members about that authentic engagement, being willing to really sit down and take the time to listen. Um, even if you spend that time and you don't get to a place of agreement or consensus, there is value in having those conversations because the outcome of the legislation is only a part of that entire process in addressing challenges, in tackling um, big thorny issues. It's the conversations that once we get into those and start building that deeper level of understanding, I think we both enrich our policy, at least I certainly hope so, but we allow for greater space for additional work to continue. And sometimes that isn't legislation, right? I've uh, just had a conversation the other day with a member who was absolutely delighted to hear that they didn't have to run a bill and that instead we could just focus on the budgetary process and being able to um, hopefully drive more funding to a grant program that was already in existence, right? And and that came about because of some really rich, good conversations that were happening on this particular issue. So I I do think it happens where, um, I don't want to say shortcuts, because I don't think that is ever the intention, but because of that compressed time frame, our members don't always recognize all of the voices uh, that should be at the table, that could be at the table. Sometimes um, there are uh, either lobbyists or organizations that know to lean in and lean in quickly and get your attention as a legislator early in the process. And sometimes those quieter voices or voices that um, you may just not see as having a, a stake in the work that you're doing, that it's it's those voices we need to do a better job of including. And it is certainly a challenge, but I hope 
that members of our business community in particular will recognize that, you know, the door is open, certainly for me as speaker, and I believe from our members and that, um, you know, reaching out, if you haven't, if you haven't received the invitation from us, don't hesitate to reach out and ask to be included because I am committed to making sure that happens. Well, that's a, that was a really great message. And I say, I appreciate that tremendously. Um, so speaking of business, do you think the chamber has developed a philosophy of, of business, its view of, of business um, in it, it's probably a little bit of a tall order to have done that in a couple of weeks. Um, but the question stems from anxiety uh, in the business community that that there may be just a, a lot of things that are coming at the business community to uh, work on issues that are important to members. But you know, at least on the business side can be viewed as somewhat punitive to business. Um, so I, I wonder if you just have a, a sense for what the kind of what the, the vision of business is going to be um, in that chamber. Yeah, I, you know, I think there are certainly a lot of conversation underway. You know, I am excited. Our Business Affairs and Labor Committee, led by Representative Amabile, um, a leader who has owned her own business, who I think is also an advocate for workers' rights. I think she does um, an exceptional job in recognizing uh, kind of that balance, the two sides of the coin. And I'm excited to see her committee get underway and um, you know, get to work on what those challenges or issues may be, and and certainly be inclusive and in listening to all sides. You know, Mike, I it, it's hard not to celebrate that Colorado is doing well. Um, you know, if I just heard today, three point three percent unemployment rate from December. Um, you know, that's dropped again. We I think we were three point seven in November, um, and our job growth continues to outpace the U.S. I, I am, as a the former chair of the Joint Budget Committee, really pleased to see that Colorado bounced back after the pandemic and the economic turbulence that followed. You know, we've, we've come back strong and we do need to be mindful about the challenges that are before our business uh, community and partners right now. You know, from my district, six counties, uh, and on the Western Slope in the Arkansas Valley, um, workforce is top of mind, right? Recruiting and retention of employees, strengthening the education and skills of workers, helping to drive more uh, traditional students and non-traditional students into those fields where we're seeing such a shortage of employees. I think that's a priority. I think continue, you know, I certainly hear from business leaders the need to focus on housing. Um, housing, as you heard in my opening day speech, and certainly from the president of the Senate, is probably the top issue that um, affordability in this state has been tough with rising inflation and some of the other impacts from the pandemic. But finding, uh, making sure that every uh, working person has a home, a home they can afford, 
And uh, I, I think that will be a focus for us. And I hope we focus on housing in partnership with our business partners. So I, I really do, um, I hope that we bring that balanced perspective around, uh, you know, business and worker needs and that we're listening to each other as we craft policy. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. And just a little bit of feedback on the housing matter uh, for the last yeah. uh, two or three years, I would say, when we visit with our CEO members, just in open conversations, but and, and in on, on the surveys that we do as well, but in open conversations, we ask, you know, what's what's the most pressing challenge that you face? And almost without fail, uh, eight out of 10 responses or seven out of 10 responses will be the affordability of housing. And the, the reason I just echo what you said is I just want to make one note that I think isn't always appreciated. You know, the conversation can sound like a numbers conversation and it, it certainly is that. I mean, people have to afford a down payment, et cetera. But yeah. um, there's a lot of heart in these employers. They care for their employees and they want them to have a great quality of life, you know, and they recognize that when you have to drive uh, a, a very long distance to get to work um, because that's where you can afford to live, um, that it creates all, all of its own challenges. Um, you know, it, it, it diminishes quality of life when you spend all your time sitting in traffic or yeah. all of your time, you know, behind the windshield, or at least it does for a lot of people. Uh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that so broadly. Um, I listen to podcasts when I drive, but I'd rather be <laughs> home with my kids typically. <laughs> there um, we go. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I really just want to point out that piece, which I don't think you'll be surprised to hear that, that what I see just in these subjective roundtable conversations is a lot of heart, just a lot of passion, a lot of concern for the struggles uh, that people have. And I think if any one of them could wave a wand and drive down the cost of a house by 30%, they'd, they'd do it in a heartbeat, of course. So I, you have you have willing partners, um, let me say it this way, not just from a mathematical reality basis, but, but from an empathy and a heart, a heart basis. I so appreciate that, Mike. Thank you. And I, you know, I see that in action in my community often. We have employers um, that have, that are, and you almost have to in rural resort communities, but they're providing the housing. You know, I don't, I also want to lift up the costs of healthcare and childcare, the two other kind of legs of the stool that impact a working person or working family's ability to succeed and thrive. And it, you know, we have to be mindful of all of those, you know, core needs and, and expenses that are hitting our workers. I've seen uh, employers in my community provide housing, childcare, you know, on the premises, um, help to pave the way for uh, preventative health uh, care programs. I, I think you're exactly right. And I, I really do want to lift up those, those leaders in the business uh, community who recognize that when your workers are thriving, so is your business. And I, 
I appreciate um, that perspective. So thank you. Yes, yes, you're welcome. Well, and thanks for that reaction. Um, I, you've been very generous with your time. I know you've got a lot going on, and we're basically at the end of our our time. But on your way out, um, the governor has uh, made a, a budget request, and all governors do, and the legislature always likes to remind the governor that they have the power of the purse <laughs> as a former legislator. I, I I understand that dynamic, but I just wonder if if you have a view yet, or if your your colleagues have a view yet of the approach that the post administration is taking regarding uh, socking more money away. I guess they used to call it a rainy day fund, but just a reserve fund uh, as opposed to uh, spending down more of what you could. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, you know, we put into place when I chaired the joint budget committee, that commitment to a 15% general fund reserve. And that's Excellent. more than more than double where we had been before the pandemic. And I hold true and, and firm that that is the right investment given the, you know, current discussion of a looming recession. I think that we need to be very mindful that while Colorado is on the right track and things are going well, we are at the mercy of what happens nationally and internationally and uh, protecting operations services, particularly safety net services for those who are most vulnerable in this state um, is incredibly important. And so while we had made that commitment in our budget, I am pleased that the governor has held to that 15% reserve. You know, there may be a little bit of space there um, for, for needs that may arise, but I, I think we've set the expectation and the bar high. And I think as we work through the next three, five, 10 years, we will be grateful that we've made this investment. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think that's very wise, and I think a lot of people will will uh, stand up and cheer for that uh, sensitivity to our uh, revenue and spending dynamic. Uh, Speaker McCleskey, you've been very generous with your time again, and we really appreciate it. And we wish you all the luck in, in the world, and maybe we can get back together uh, throughout the session or at another point and discuss uh, where things stand. Mike, I would um, relish the opportunity and really appreciate this time as well and look forward to not only more conversations with you, but for all of our partners in business and industry as we move forward this session. So I hope uh, people will re reach out. Well, thank you. You've, you've made the invitation very clear and I, that's okay. going to be very appreciated. We appreciate that. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the In the Arena podcast with Colorado Concern. I hope you'll subscribe so you can stay informed on the intersection of business and politics in Colorado. 